Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold, and we're going to continue uh, Guy Talk today, uh, hour two of Guy Talk, which is uh, really nice. I love hanging out with my friends, talking about Jesus and God's Word. And any question you have for us, let us know. The best way to get them to me today is by emailing them, uh, bill at myfaithradio.com, bill at myfaithradio.com. Just so you know, you can always email, email me a question anytime you like that you want to have uh, asked on Guide Talk or any of my other shows, you can uh, send that over anytime you like. doesn't have to be during uh, a live show time, just so you know for your information. Okay. Uh, Tom Parrish and Jeff Dorn are my power panel. They have not moved since last hour, which is nice. Um, so thank you for being here. Good to be here. Thank you Great so much. Here. Thank you. People just got in their car and they go, what's going on? It's God Talk, guys. We're still here. We're talking. We're doing the extended version today. Extendorama today. This is this is the trend. I want to. I want this segment to be two hours every week. That's I love I, it. That's what I say. We're already here. Yeah. Because, you know, the format of this is if you're in, in and out of your car and maybe you're only in for seven minutes, you're going to get a chunk of something. Right. 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 Uh, you know, if there's an hour teaching on something and you miss it, you can always go to the podcast and get it, which I... Highly recommend, but if you're just uh, in the car or, or have 20 minutes, you're going to get a bunch of good stuff. And that first hour went really fast. Very fast. For you guys, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Leave me out of it, you know. But anyway, let's get back to some questions. I love this question. How do you know you have the Holy Spirit in you? I have two answers for that. Tom Paris, you go first then. Okay, number one, Jesus declared it. By faith in him, he promised the Holy Spirit. And when you trust in Jesus, the Bible affirms, then the Holy Spirit lives in you, because you can't even say Jesus is Lord except by the power of the Holy Spirit. Hmm. So that's number one. The second thing I always have to look at is how well am I yielding now to the Holy Spirit? Because oftentimes when I wonder if the Holy Spirit's within me or I hear people say this, it's usually because they've stumbled, they've had a problem, they have thoughts they don't know how to deal with. And that's where you have to keep going back to the Lord and saying, Lord Jesus, let your spirit guide my thinking. Let it change my heart. Let it give me the new attitude. And I'll be honest, folks, there have been weeks months of my life where I've done that day after day after day because the ultimate goal is to know this Jesus and the Holy Spirit gives you the power to do that. So it's assured by Jesus if you believe in him and secondly then yield to the Holy Spirit every chance you can. You know the word says that we are children of God and that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit testifies with our own spirit that we are his children. So if you have the Spirit of God dwelling within you, the Spirit is testifying to your own spirit that you are his children, so we can know that we know. Um, now, if, you're, if you have doubts about that, 
I think the the prescription for doubt is to continue to study the Word of God, Mm -hmm. to read about His promises, and the more you study, the more you understand His promises, the more you understand passages like this, those doubts will melt away. But if you're not in the Word and you don't know His promises, you may doubt that you are saved often, but with an understanding of the Word of God, they will melt away. When I was a kid, we uh, I had to tune in our TV. It was an antenna. And then in the morning, I'd get up early before everybody else. And they, remember the little color bars they have on mm-hmm. there? And I'd dye all the colors in to make sure they're right. I don't think most of us understand that in one sense, that's kind of what our faith is like. Jesus is always there. If, you know, if you've called upon him as Lord and Savior, he's always there. The Holy Spirit's job is to keep fine-tuning that all the time mm-hmm. and to get us get everything in focus. My biggest problem is i got to get it out of the kitchen and into the living room where the TV is, or I've got to pay attention to the Holy Spirit. And you're right, Jeff. When the Holy Spirit does that, he'll take you back into the Word, and that's where most of the tuning comes from. It also comes through the fellowship of believers. It comes through prayer, but there's no substitute for the Word. Oh. Keep in step with the Spirit, then. Walk with the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, right? Mm-hmm. So, All right. Here's another salvation question. What if you thought you were saved a few years ago, and then you go through some life situations? Uh, can you go through the exercise of being saved again? Well, if this gets back to the assurance question we were talking about last hour, that once you're born again, you're born again for all of eternity. So Scripture doesn't—Scripture—there's a couple passages, but I don't— I don't think they should be interpreted in a way that says that someone can lose their salvation and then regain their salvation. And and by the way, if that could happen, then that could happen all the time. You could be walking in and out of salvation uh, depending on your your mood that week. And I just, that's not biblical. Once you're saved, once you're born again, you have the Spirit and He's with you forever. Um, So can you come, if you've wandered uh, away and are coming back to the Lord, uh, that's a good thing, by the way. And you don't have to ask for salvation again, but you can repent of the ways of the world and come back to God and recommit yourself to him, saying, I am going to follow you more closely from this day forward. Plant your flag. By the way, baptism is one way that you can plant your flag. Getting involved in a church is a way to plant your flag. Getting a small group together and plant your flag. Being consistent in Bible study is a way to plant your flag. And so these are the anchors in a Christian's life to keep you from wandering back from to the world. Because the world has lots of distractions in it, right? So we want to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, and uh, and trust in him with all of our hearts. You ever been on a big ship when there's a storm? I've been out on a, in a storm, and I discovered they put out three anchors, almost like a, a you know a triangle, because each anchor then holds the ship secure no matter what's going hmm. on around it. Good picture. So, so the word of God is an anchor. The fellowship of believers is another anchor. Baptism is another anchor. We should be continually making sure those anchors are out there. Because that's what secures us in our relationship with the Lord. Hmm. You know, I think I have some friends that grew up in an environment where every altar call, they were going back up to the Lord and, you know, getting saved again, saying the prayer again, and, and going up in the, another altar call and another altar call. And you're never quite sure. And again, this goes right back heart to this heart of assurance of salvation. Once you're saved, you're saved. You don't need to go up, but you can continually submit 
to God every single day and every morning. Oftentimes what I do, because I'm one of these strange Lutherans, okay? People wonder mm-hmm. if I'm, I'm a Baptist Lutheran or Pentecostal. I don't know which one it is. But oftentimes when I pray for people or have people come forward, and sometimes I do with an altar call, or I'll pray a prayer of salvation and invite people to pray aloud with me, I will say, if you already know Jesus, huh. simply raise your hand and say it again as an affirmation to the truth. You're not gaining your salvation. You have it. For those of you that don't, here's your opportunity to gain that salvation. I like that. I do too. All right, gentlemen, good work. Very nice work. This question will make you guys um, see what you're made of right now. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, no, you know, this is tough because you have to answer this uh, to the understanding of a four-year-old. Okay. okay. All, All right. right. So well, I'm a year out. Oh, here's the question. Uh, I was reading the story of the Last Supper with my four-year-old the other night from his children's Bible. We get to the part where Jesus took the bread and blessed it. My son asked me what he blessed it meant. He blessed it. What does that mean? How would you answer this to a four-year-old understanding? Oh, I love that one. And um, now it's time for a break. I guess we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll take a break and we'll be right back. I'm one of these pastors who get at church. I get down on my knees with kids. I, I just don't pass the kids and say, glad you're here. I'll get down on my knees with them. And oftentimes, you know, I will lay a hand on their head and say, do you know how special you are to Jesus? Do you know he set you apart to do his will? That's what a blessing is. And for that mother with that bread, when Jesus laid his hands on the bread, he was blessing it in that it was his body, which was going to make a huge difference in the disciples' lives. Mm. And she can do the same thing with her son or daughter by laying hands on them and saying, I'm going to bless you just like Jesus blessed the bread and say, you are a child of God in Jesus Christ. You are special and you are made in his image. Because I, so many kids that I run into have never heard that, even from their parents. And I'm thinking, why as Christian parents aren't we talking to our kids that way? You know, Jesus has set them apart. He's calling them from before they were even in the womb. We need to reaffirm that. And, of course, when they get older, make that personal commitment. I'm all for that. But I've seen kids at four and five years old make personal commitments and live that out way up into their old age. You know, I think this question, out of the mouths of children, by the way, because I've never heard this question before. It's such a simple but profound question. I think we've, you know, thinking about this, I think we've lost the idea of blessing our children, of blessing others. Um, You know, I'm thinking back at some great pictures from, from Scripture where someone is blessing someone else. I'm, I'm thinking Isaac, you know, on his bed, and, you know, Jacob comes up, and, and he kind of deceitfully gets the blessing from his father. But his father, this was a big deal for his father to bless his child. There, there's a song out that I love. This is by Carrie Job, and it's called The Blessing. I don't know if you guys have heard this song. It is a very, very special song. I love it. it, it and it starts, The Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you, and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. I think this is, when you bless something, you're asking the Lord, Lord, I want this to be special, to be set apart for special purposes, and to have your favor. I agree. Absolutely. Hmm. All right, we'll take a break. When we come back, uh, plenty more guy talk or guys who talk. And I think they're doing an above-average job today. 
Uh, I don't want it to go to their heads, but if you send over other questions, I will well, ask them. That's a C plus then, or just C plus, uh, slightly I'm above not, average? I'm not doing a grading okay, no thing. Grace. I mean, not today, <laughs> but let's just say C, okay? Okay. <laughs> Well, that's average then. No, but if we do the- well next week, we'll let us smell a pizza. Yeah, I'll never forget one guy told me. Just remember, half of you are below average. <laughs> that's so true. I keep threatening you guys with pizza, but I I don't think I'll ever come through on that. Next week, cheap we offer. understand. Yeah. Anyway, I probably will, but it means you guys have to stick around then and eat pizza in the green room when that's we're right. done. Yep. Which, not during the show. Not a problem. No, not during the show. Okay. We can't have food in the studio. Well, we can. I think that's one of the rules. Oh, is that is one it? of the rules, Rosie? Can't have food in the studio. <laughs> that's what I've heard. That's what I've heard too. Yeah. You can't spill stuff on expensive equipment. We don't want to do that. Not that I know anything about that, because I certainly don't. (laughs) (laughs) All right. uh, We'll be right back. Email your questions, bill at myfaithradio.com. We'll get your questions on the air. Be right back. Hi there, and welcome. If you are a new listener, we want to officially welcome you with a free welcome packet gift. Request yours today at myfaithradio.com. Are you guys seeing Ricky Ricardo's band right now? <laughs> oh, I'm feeling it. Uh, it's nice, isn't it? I love it. Yes, that non-royalty-free music. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Here's a question. I love this one. Many Christians I talk with today are seeing prophetic scripture of the end days being fulfilled in our day. I've been camping in Jude 20 for some time, and I think it's important that believers continue to pray, witness, share the gospel. Still, I see how hearts are growing more cold every day, Wondering if you could talk about if we should still keep trying to share the gospel with those who have firmly responded with, no, I don't believe that. I don't want to, I don't think we should be a Bible thumper at all and people and love people enough to keep inviting. Or should we just wipe our dust off and move on? I'm especially thinking of those with unsaved loved ones. When it comes to loved ones, um, I think the dusting of your feet is just not an option. I'm not saying that it's not biblical because we see this in Scripture, right? If you if a town rejects the message, go on to the next town and try again. And uh, But when it comes to loved ones, look, I know some people that have prayed for loved ones for decades and not seen any glimmer of of hope that they would ever receive Christ as their Savior. And in the final weeks or months of their lives, they actually do. They're saved. And guess where they're going to be for all of eternity? Because of the persistence of a loved one who never gave up on them. So I would say, if for your loved ones, never give up. Um, Keep exhorting the Lord. Lord, bring circumstances into this person's life where they will see and recognize the truth and believe in you. As I see things rolling out today and uh, looks like Scripture coming to reality in terms of the end times, I find it just the opposite. I get more anxious to talk Mm. to people, to relatives, classmates. I've got a 55th class reunion coming up, and I'm already—there are 161 in my class. Unfortunately, several are dead. 
But on the Internet, and I email them, I'm still challenging them to take the 21-day challenge, you know, in the Gospel of John, because you don't know. You know, and there have been so many times in my life that I have talked to people and talked and got nowhere, 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 nowhere. And then the 55th time they responded, mm-hmm. I-, I can't figure it out. All I know is I think the Lord, he, I didn't stop at 54. Right. Hebrews 10 says to encourage one another, I'll add, to really preach to one another even more as you see the day approaching. The fact that we see the day approaching should spur us on to preach the gospel and to to spur one another on even more. See, this is the thing we need to guard against. I see too many Christians that get so caught up in the end times, they begin to withdraw from the world. It's like they're sitting back and hoping it happens tonight and I won't have to put up with these people anymore. (laughs) It should be just the opposite. The closer we see it coming, the more anxious in the good sense that we should become to share with our neighbors, to talk to people, because eternity is a long time. And if these people aren't given that opportunity over and over, a lot of them aren't going to be there. We can give them that opportunity. The book of Revelation starts with a a promise. It says, blessed is he who reads the words in this book and heeds the words that are written in it. Blessed. How are we blessed? Whenever I teach on the end times, and I love to teach on the end times, I do it every couple of years, I ask people this question at the very beginning, and I ask them to keep a journal. And this journal is then we go over it at the end of the class. And I say, how were you blessed during this class? Because God promises a blessing. Do you know what one of the most common blessings, quote unquote, that people receive when studying the end times? And that is exactly what we were just talking about, a sense of urgency for the days in which we live. Yep. All right, gentlemen, good work. Here's another question. I was reading in Kings about Absalom rebelling against David. Interesting about how he schmoozed people to curry favor with them. So many questions, but what is the guy's take on him? Absalom. Well, Absalom was... The third uh, son of King David yeah. by his wife, Makah. I, I hadn't thought about this till the last couple of years as I've been working with people, but he is what we would call a narcissist. That is, <laughs> everything centered on him. He was handsome. The people admired him. He was willing to rebel against his own father to get what he wanted. He raped his own sister, Tamar. Didn't, this was a man... Didn't, didn't Amnon... Was it Amnon who did Amnon raped I'm sorry. Tamar. That's okay. all right. That's why I'm here to... Close enough. Here, somebody correct me. <laughs> yeah, somebody help the boy. That's my job. Uh, that's all right. But the point is, he was self-centered. And self-centered people can be the nicest, most generous people you've ever met in your life, so long as they're getting you to do what they want. And that's where we have to always be careful so that as Christians, when we're helping others, we're not doing it for our benefit. We're doing it out of thankfulness for what Jesus has done for us. But uh, yeah, I I see that. I just did a study on uh, on this whole thing in First Kings. Wow. And you're absolutely right. I mean, he was, people were drawn to him. He was quite a guy. Yeah, he was quite self-promoting, wasn't he? Well, and even David didn't want him killed. Mm-hmm. You know, right. When uh, he rebelled. When he rebelled, yep. and David kept bending over backwards to the point where David got out of the city, you know, for the sake of the city, and gave the ark back to the city, yep. which is astounding when, when that happened. Mm-hmm. And yet Absalom, all I could think of was himself. I don't want to leave listeners in the weeds because they might be hearing that name for the very first time, Absalom. You can... Uh, hear the bulk of his story, and it's told in Second Samuel, yep, uh, thirteen to nineteen. Second so Samuel. He, you know, this guy he wanted to be king, 
before his time, right? I mean, the next generation typically doesn't become king until the last generation uh, dies, and then the rightful heir becomes king. And it seems to me the story indicates that he wanted to be king before his day, before his time. And and Tom, like you said, I think I think his future potential position went to his head, and he wanted it all right now. It's fascinating that when he did rebel, David did leave the city. Absalom comes into the city, and but the but there's a counterattack that David didn't take part of. And but he told us all troops, "Don't touch my my son Absalom." But do you remember how he died? What happened? He's riding along on his horse, <laughs> his long, flowing, beautiful hair, like you said, he was probably a good-looking guy. I think Scripture mm-hmm. says that. Gets caught in some tree branches, and he's hanging there dehorsed when David's uh, troops find him and kill him. I mean, that can't be an accident. It, right. it just can't be a coincidence. Yeah. And I want to affirm, Bill, you're absolutely right. I'm looking at Second Samuel 13, and it was Amnon. Uh who went after Tamar. Mm-hmm. Uh, but somehow Absalom was mixed up in that too. Well, yeah, bit. yeah, I get that. Not a good guy. Yeah. All right, so David uh, took five smooth stones instead of just one. Why? Did he have some doubt that he might not get the first shot right? Or was he thinking that there might be chaos afterwards and I need additional stones for self-defense? Any thoughts on that? So, you know, I have a... Uh, I was in the Valley of Elon. Is it the Valley of Elon? Is that the, I think that's the name of it. And I selected five smooth stones from the ground. Where really? the, where the yeah, you, honestly, really? I did. I have five smooth stones. You got to bring them in sometime. I'll bring them in next time, and I'll, I'll you know, it's, this is radio, so but I'll bring them in. And my question was, what what size stones were they? You know, like as much as you can fit in your hand mm-hmm. or was it half that size or what? So I, I picked a, a number of stones varying in sizes, but I'll bring them in next time. But they are five smooth stones. And for all we know, one of those could have actually been the stones that, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Probably wasn't the exact stone that actually hit Goliath, you know, in the forehead and caused him to die. But uh, but I, I will, I'll bring them in this, next time. Um, you know, this question has been asked a lot and, I'm thinking back of the story in Scripture, and I, I don't know that there's a good answer uh, to this. I did some research on this two weeks ago. Your, your questions are great, Bill. They're everything I'm studying. <laughs> there are two theories, and neither one has strong biblical support. They're both scant report. One is that Goliath had four sons. That was one of the problems. The mm-hmm. other one is Goliath had four brothers. And so David went... You know, the, the theory was that when David went to battle and took five smooth stones, he recognized he may have to deal not only with Goliath, but his family as well. Mm-hmm. Now, that could be completely wrong. I can't prove that biblically one way or the other, but that's kind of a strong sentiment, and it's taught that way uh, over in the Middle East to a lot of people. Mm. Whether he took one uh, stone or five, he David always recognized that his power was not in his sling, right. but in the Lord. In the Lord. Incredible faithfulness. Mm-hmm. I love that story. All right, we're going to take a little break. Come back with uh, more God Talk or Guys Who Talk, and they're doing a wonderful job today. Uh, I was not fair saying you guys were above average. You guys are way above average. Oh, wow, we're, we're, at, we're in B territory now. Can I yeah, give you my wife's phone number? Yes, yes, <laughs> definitely. So to get me questions today, uh, please send them via email. Bill at myfaithradio.com. Bill at myfaithradio.com. We'll be right back.
It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Arno. Drive time, drive time, let's get it started. Jump in your car, what's for dinner? It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Arno. We are enjoying uh, an extended version of Guide Talk today, now available in all 50 states and downloadable in 170 countries. Wow. Uh, just really? Just to say that, yes. That's humbling. It is humbling. I, I, I think it's great. So if you have a question, email it over to me, bill at myfaithradio.com. We'll get your question on the air. We'll do our very best to answer it. We can't make really any guarantees, can we? No. no. Except Jesus. Yeah, except Jesus. All right, gentlemen, what does it mean to live east of Eden? East of Eden. I think we find that in Genesis chapter 3. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. I don't know... (sighs) You know, Jeff, the the gate we had talked about a couple of weeks ago that Jesus is going to come back through. Yeah, the Eastern Gate. Is that the Eastern Gate? It is. Okay. So the the the, the way out of the Garden of Eden was to the east, hmm. going into the world of sin. Where when Jesus returns, he's going to come through the gate, bringing paradise with him from and forgiveness the from the east. So there's something symbolic about the east, and it's also where the the sun rises in the morning. You know, and so there might be some parallels there, but I can't prove it. You know, there's uh, that's that's actually a good thought. That that's where Jesus is going to come through the east, back into Jerusalem through that eastern gate. Uh, there might be something there. I'm I'm thinking of the encampment of Israel, but uh, there were there were different tribes on the north, on the south, on the east, and on the west. Um, I'm thinking of the gates in the New Jerusalem and the 12 tribes and 12 gates on the foundation of the gate on the New Jerusalem that comes down from heaven. I don't know if that is related. Um, I'm running out of other references to try to think of the significance of the East. So okay. I've never been, okay. I'd, I've never taught on this or asked, but asked yeah. about this. Well, it's good that we uh, brought it up. I think our I think our grade point just went down. We, dropped a little, we were yeah, expecting a complete thesis next week. <laughs> <laughs> Gives you something to study, doesn't it? It does. It's all good. All right, here's a question, gentlemen. Uh, did God literally and visibly walk in the garden? Now, we're still in the garden having this conversation. But it says they they heard the sound of the Lord God. Whatever form God took, it must have allowed for the physical production of sound. His walk was audible. He was making noise. What do you make of that? Well, his presence was real. And the, and the scriptures affirm that. It was not like we have through sin, where we only see dimly. They saw literally, I believe, face to face. But after sin, then they were excluded from the garden, and that didn't happen anymore, except the Lord Jesus could see the Father, and then we get to see him. But I think that uh, there was a literal presence that they could identify and walk with. But I can't mm-hmm. describe it. I don't know beyond that. But yes, the Lord was there and they knew him. So when they hear the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden, Genesis 3, 8, in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. This is, of course, after the fall when they were hiding to hide their shameful nakedness. But you certainly get the idea or the impression that there is a 
physical manifestation of God walking in the garden, for sure. So do we see that elsewhere in Scripture? And we actually do. We see a number of incidences where there is a physical representation of God in human form. So, for example, uh, Jacob wrestled with God. Well, we know that no one has seen God, and yet here we have Jacob wrestling God. We have Adam who is walking with God. We have Joshua who falls down before the angel of the Lord accepting worship. So he appears to be God. So who are these physical human manifestations of God? I think, I believe scripture indicates that they are Christ, a pre-incarnate Jesus Christ who is God in the flesh. Before he comes to earth as a babe, he is seen in human form in the Old Testament a theophany is a manifestation of God in the Old Testament, a Christophany specifically, a manifestation of Christ. So there is a lot of evidence that would point that we can conclude that this was actually Christ, God in the flesh, who is the Lord walking in the garden. Good point. All right, gentlemen, how should Christian parents handle the death of a child? I mean, the loss is extraordinary. It's a it's an out of order event because you always assume that you know you're you're going to die before your kids, right? Um, it's life altering, and it presents unique challenges to people as they try to rebuild their life without their child. Yes, I know Tom Parrish. You've had an experience with a grandchild. I lost our first grandchild uh, when he was quite young. Um, feel free to cry a lot, and I mean that sincerely. It's part do. of the Lord's way of of relieving things. The best thing I can tell people is be honest with the Lord about your feelings when you pray. You know, don't try to go into churchy language or anything else or whatever. Be honest with the Lord. Say, look, I'm frustrated. I'm angry. I don't understand this. That's where the Spirit can then work and lead us into Scripture to begin to bring us back to where we need to be. I also found music very helpful, Christian music, uh, especially some of the old hymns. And uh, that's been over 21 years ago. And I'll be real honest. It still hurts from a human point of view. But on the other hand, I know I'm going to see that child again. And without my faith in Jesus, I'd have no hope at all. But I do have hope, and I know he's alive, and I know he's with the Lord. You know, there's this wonderful passage. I know, Pastor Tom, you've done funerals. Um, I, I did a funeral just a couple of years ago, and, and one of the passages that came to mind is from First Thessalonians. And so I, I focused on this a little bit, and it says, uh, that uh, for brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Yep. We still grieve, yep. but we don't grieve like the rest of mankind who doesn't have a hope. What is that hope? It's the hope that we will see our loved ones again. Anyone who is in Christ, we will see again and be with them for all of eternity. Um, you know, there's there's uh, these grieving stages that you have probably heard and are familiar with. It's it's the stages of you know shock and and denial and anger and bargaining. And you know what I've seen? I've seen both unbelievers and believers go through those stages of grief. But I've been to to unbelievers' funerals and I've been to believers' funerals. And you know what? They're two totally different things. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. See what I'm saying? We grieve, but not like the rest of men who have no hope. And while Christians probably and do still go through those stages, those stages are so much different than those who don't have any hope. And I want to tell the Christians out there, 
you lose uh, a friend, you lose a loved one, uh, like this horrible accident where this young lady hit this couple that just got married and the bride was killed and the husband just got out of the hospital. He's in for weeks. Hmm. So on the day they got married, she was killed. I mean, I can't think of, from a, a human standpoint, except for a child, it doesn't get much worse than that. But with all of our technology, you know, put in your phone reminders to call that person. Because most of us think, like, after six weeks, aren't you back to normal, Jeff? Mm. Can't you get back to the way life is? It takes people years, even believers, decades. to get back to any decades to get yeah. back to any normalcy. And that's where, as Christians, we need to be there for one another. But, you know, when I lost my grandson, and I didn't feel like calling um, my friends a year later and saying, you know, I'm still a mess. <laughs> you know, or anything like that. But I had two friends, both pastors, and those guys every week were calling me or Mm. taking me out to lunch. And Jan had some friends like that too. And it made a world of difference. Mm. We're suddenly three years later when we're talking, Tom, I've been thinking about you, you know, how you doing at the loss of your grandson? And at that point it was starting to lift a little bit and I could talk honestly. Nobody else did that. We should be doing that for one another all the time. Absolutely. Tom, what I heard you say that an important part of overcoming grief is is expressing it to God. Be honest. Yep. Talk and, to the Lord. And we can find a lot of comfort in the Psalms, pouring our hearts oh, out to God. Oh, Yeah. Well, he was, Jesus was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. So this is nothing new to him. He knows exactly how to touch our hearts and mm-hmm. exactly how to open us up. And I saw him do that in our lives. I believe he'll do it in any believer's life. We just need to be honest and open and willing to talk to people. I believe it's in Romans that talks about that believers have the ability to mourn with those who mourn. Yes. I think it's in there. Um, But it's important that we, as believers, uh, share our burdens with others. Yeah. Um, So how do we do that in ways where we're not feeling like a heaviness? To people, because uh, heaviness is probably what you're going through. It is a heaviness, and I think the the problem is most people don't have the kind of hope in what Jesus offers, even though they're saved, but don't have the hope for living like they need. My goal is this: as a pastor, as a Christian, um, I tell people, you can call me twenty four seven. Nice. I will talk to you. 10 years later, I have people calling me literally 20 years after an event occurred and a death or whatever and still wanting to talk to me. And basically, I'm going to listen. I'm going to pray with them. I'm going to encourage them. We may meet for lunch. The point is be available. Mm -hmm. And when you're available to people, you represent the Lord well. And I, I think the body, that's what the body is for, right? When one part of the body suffers, we all suffer. And, And so Paul says in Corinthians that... Uh, we we he comforts us. God comforts us in all of our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves received from God. So, if you are a believer and you know someone who's lost somebody special, be that person who brings God's comfort to them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, nicely done. All right, gentlemen, how should a Christian view self-esteem? Maybe we're going to say self-esteem is the feelings of of worth or value that we have based on maybe mm-hmm. some of the gifts God's given us or skills or accomplishments, status? I think we talk about self-esteem in the wrong scale. I think we think of self-esteem as having a high self-esteem. We think very well or 
or much of ourselves or a low self-esteem, meaning we have a, a very low view of ourselves for whatever. And, and in the world's view, I think they try to get people or counsel people that you need to increase or, or, or have a higher self-esteem. You need, you're thinking too lowly of self and you need to think of yourself higher. I think that's com- the completely wrong way to think about it. We need to have a proper self-understanding. And biblically, our proper self-understanding is that outside of Christ, we're lost. And all that is left, as Paul writes, is a fearful expectation of judgment. And in Christ, we are more than conquerors. We are overcomers because we are in him. We have we we will live because he has lived. He's conquered death. Therefore, we have conquered death. Um, that is a proper understanding in Christ Jesus. He, we are saints because he's made us holy. Do you see what I'm saying? Yep. It's not that we should think lowly of ourselves as a Christian or too highly of our things, self as a Christian. We need to think properly of ourselves as being in Christ Jesus. Too much of self-esteem today leads to pride. And that's what comes before the fall. Pride <laughs> comes yes. before the fall. It shouldn't lead to pride. It should lead to thankfulness that we are falling at the feet of Jesus and saying, why did you set me apart to have all this education, all this opportunity to be able to share the gospel with these people? People that have low self-esteem, and uh, I'm working on this right now. I'm not selling anything. I'm working on a book on identity and purpose because most Christians, and especially kids, don't understand what their identity is in Jesus Christ and what their purpose is in life. When you understand your identity and purpose, you've got a proper understanding of what self-esteem really is because you're an ambassador of the gospel, a minister of reconciliation, Hmm. and you've been created in his image. You are here to represent him. And I've been trying to represent Jesus for all these years. And the one thing I know, I'm here to represent him, not me. (laughs) And that's exactly what I want to be doing, because he's the one that brings the salvation, the forgiveness, and the joy, not me. In Psalm 16, verse 2, it says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. Kind of an interesting self-esteem verse, isn't it? It is, yeah. And and it's true, because most people get their self-esteem by what other people say about them. Mm-hmm. And And... That comes and goes. You know, people are there one minute, gone the next. I think it's always amazing how these Hollywood stars, all of a sudden when they go broke or they're not getting in a movie, nobody's talking to them anymore. You know, I mean, you're not getting, if you are a Hollywood guy and you're 70 years old like I am and you're single, you know, if you're not making a big movie, you don't get an 18-year-old that wants to marry you. It just doesn't work that way. But when you understand it with the Lord, it's Mm -hmm. a whole different world altogether. Yeah, I mean... Scripture declares whose opinion should we concern be concerned with, and that's God's opinion, right? We should be pleasers of God, not pleasers of men. But Psalm 16 here is saying basically what uh, Isaiah says and, and many of the prophets say, that the human heart is desperately wicked on its own, right? Mm. There's no one righteous, no, not one, for we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That is our identity outside of Christ. Uh, so our our proper understanding is neither high nor low. It's it's a proper understanding. I am separated from God, but in Christ Jesus, He's brought us near to God. We've been made righteous. These kinds of descriptions that that describe myself uh, describe yourself as being low and so on. It's like no, we've been, we are, we. He, I love the verse. He always leads us in victorious procession. Yes, we are victorious. Greater is He who's in us than he who is in the world. That is not prideful. That's not having a high self-esteem. That's having a proper 
self-esteem as God has declared it. All right. I'm not letting you off the hook. When we come back, I've got a couple more self-esteem questions and comments. Jeff Redorn, Pastor Tom Parrish, Guide Talk. We're having a great time today. Mm. Thank you for your questions. Email them, bill at myfaithradio.com. Be right back. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting myfaithradio.com. Okay, okay, we are down to our last little segment of Guide Talk. It's been a wonderful Guide Talk-a-thon today. And uh, we are concluding Hour 2. Jeff Dorn and T- Pastor Tom Parrish are my distinguished guest panelists. We were talking about self-esteem before we went to the break, and I have a couple of follow-up thoughts or questions I'd like to uh, bring to the table, gentlemen. Let's talk about a, a person that maybe has a low self-esteem. Is that a form of pride? Because low self-esteem may mean that I want somebody to feel sorry for me or pay attention to me or comfort me. That, that's a great question. Mm-hmm. I, I call that worm theology. And there is um, some in, there are some in Christianity that believe that oh, we just need to be so lowly. We need to have such a lowly opinion of ourselves, right? And I call it worm theology because it's basically the lower you are, uh, the, the less you have, the whatever, the more troubles you've been through. Somehow, the more holy you, holier you are uh, than others, and and I think you're right. I think there are some that take pride in that. Yeah, and it's a shame because we have a whole plethora of people out there, especially young women, which it's horrendous. Even in this country, how many have been sexually abused as young women? They have low self esteem in most cases. Or they have a distorted picture of who they are. They dramatically need healing. So I've seen that. But then I've also seen the worm theology on the other hand. Mm -hmm. And basically it's, oh, don't you feel sorry for me? Aren't you going to take care of me? Don't you? You know, this type of thing. Either one is not what the Lord intended. Mm -hmm. And our role as Christians is to pay enough attention to other people to pick up on these things. Because they don't usually come right out and tell you. But then begin the process of restoring what the Lord had intended in the first place by telling them what Jesus' purpose is for them, his love for them, and what they have for all eternity. We we were just talking at the break about social media. I mean, social media has made a mess of the church in a lot of ways, of people in general, in that we are getting, we are defining our self-worth by, you know, our the number of followers we have, the number of likes we get, what other people think of us, and, and so on. And... Um, boy, you, you as a follower of Christ are going to have to decide, am I a pleaser of men or am I a pleaser of God? Am I going to care what man thinks about me or am am I going to focus on what God thinks of me? The thing I learned, my son was a field goal kicker and I used to kick field goals and I played football Hmm. as well as fullback. Here's the interesting thing for most people in life, their self-esteem is no better than their last field goal. And everybody cheers you on when you make it. Nobody knows you when you miss. Where Jesus is consistent, 
He knows who you are, why you're here, what your purpose is, and we need to communicate that to people. All right, we were uh, created in the image of God. Let's just start with Adam. Adam did not resemble God in the sense of God having flesh and blood. So what are we, how are we created in his image? There's actually probably a plethora of different ways we're created in his image. God is a, a relational being. We are a relational being. God is a creative being. We are creative. We are designed to be in relationship. God is a loving God. We thrive on loving others and being loved. Um, We are also, God is a three-part being. We are a three-part being, um, body, soul, and spirit. So, uh, and Christ, obviously, as a man, came as a man. So I I think it's both, both in our nature and in a and in a qualitative sense, and in a, um, a a creative sense or a character sense, I think that the characteristics that we display as people in our creativeness, our, our character, our desire to be with others, and so on, is 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 part of being made in the image of God. I think the English word "image" is part of our problem because we see images all the time mm-hmm. on the screen, on the TV, and so it's a physical appearance. As far as I understand the Hebrew, it has little to do with that. It's not the physical appearance. It's the character. So we're created in the image of God or in the character of the Lord, which means we love one another. We do his will. We serve. Sin, though, stopped that from happening. And we have a fallen image now. And Jesus has come to restore that image so that we no longer live for ourselves, but we live for him. And living for him, we care and love one another. Yeah, so now it's it's damaged our ability to love. It's damaged yep. our ability to have relationships. Sin has damaged our ability to create. So now we're creating things that don't honor the Lord or are dangerous or deadly or, or even evil uh, rather than building things that glorify God, uh, if you will. Preach so, it, good Jeff. Word. That's good word. Yeah. I like it. We're going to stay on this image of God creation. And let me just uh, be kind of a... Uh, I'm going to play the advocate here. I'm going to say, all right, you guys are what, Christians? All right, so all right, what does it mean that uh, you believe in the sanctity of life? What does that mean? It, Do you like my obnoxious voice, by yeah. the way? <laughs> and, Rosie's dying laughing over there. It's, it's even more fun in the studio to see you do that. <laughs> what we mean by the sanctity of life is this, that all life is created by the Lord himself. Like you said to Jeremiah, before you were created in the womb, I knew you. Sanctity means that he has the right to give life and he has the right to take life. It's not our choice in that sense. Mm. We don't have that facility. And that is why in my ministry, I have been incredibly consistent in working with unwed mothers, uh, people that were headed toward abortion, if I can help them, even follow up on women that have had abortions, teaching them how to forgive themselves, because life is what we want for the mother, we want for that child, we want for the family. And it is the whole part of that process where we become, living that life, become more and more like the Lord in the way we care for one another. If mankind is truly made in the image of God, then every single human being has value to God. Yes. And if every single human being has value to God, then we should value every single human being. And that includes the human being that are not yet born. Uh, So this is a question. Is God pro-life or pro-choice. This is not not even hard. God is pro-life. He is the God of life. He gives life to all things. And so that's an, that's an easy one. Um, you know, it says in the Bible, when Cain killed Abel, 
that his it it says when he's talking with Cain, it says your brother's blood has cried up to heaven. That's one person's blood. We have had 60 million abortions in this country from since Roe v. Wade uh, back in 1972. 60 million abortions. What does the blood of 60 million aborted babies sound like in heaven? It cries out it to cries the Lord. It cries out. Mm-hmm. Gentlemen, that wraps up almost two hours of guy talk, or guys who talk. It went fast. How's your energy levels? I could do another hour. I okay, good. Too. Good. I love hearing that. So, you know, my little theme song says, you jump in your car, what's for dinner? So speaking of, what is for dinner? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going out to dinner at, at a restaurant uh, with some friends tonight. Nice, so, nice. Yeah. I have chicken in the crock pot. So, so yeah. with friends, who are we? You're, you're friends, <laughs> too. You guys uh, are chumps. Next week, we're going out for dinner after a guy talk. For pizza. Yeah. Hey, Rosie, what about you? What's for dinner? I have no idea. I work on afternoons, so Gary has that taken care of for me. So Gary's in charge of dinner? That's what, yeah, since that's I what started. for. Right, exactly. Yeah. We does, have a lot of those in the does, he, does Gary cook? He does, and he's a great cook. Awesome. Wonderful. Yeah, very awesome. blessed. We'll All be right. over to your house. Yeah, so my <laughs> friends, Brian and Kimberly, order me a nice steak for tonight, okay? Nice. I'll nice. be there in a minute. That. All right. Thank you so much for spending time with me today, and thank you for the great questions because it really helps Guide Talk move along because <laughs> we don't get your questions. We're in a... Big heap of trouble. And we love doing the extended version. I think that's the trend going forward. A couple hours on Thursday of Guy Talk or Guys Who Talk. Thank you again for supporting Faith Radio. Thank you for caring about us, praying for us. We pray for you. If you have any special prayer request, you can email me that prayer, bill at myfaithradio.com. I love to pray. I'm up in the middle of the night often. Have a great night. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.